For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. This story has all the elements of a Greek tragedy or a Shakespearean play, and it could easily inspire the plot of a movie or mystery novel. Unfortunately, this is a true drama, and the outcome deprived children of their father and a wife of her new husband. We will never know how this event truly ended. The last few moments aboard the R-66 helicopter and the pilot's mindset will remain a mystery. Did Andy Tuber's helicopter crash into the Gulf of Alaska because he purposely flew it into the ocean, sparing his family and himself the embarrassment of a tawdry, drawn-out court case that could land him in prison? Or was Tuber distracted and perhaps taking chances he wouldn't usually take because he was rushing to get home to his family in Kodiak before the news media broke the story about his messy affair? Some people believe the Anchorage Daily News, the largest newspaper in Alaska, bears a portion of the blame for Tuber's tragic death. If the paper hadn't rushed to print a story about Tuber before carefully fact-checking it, perhaps Andy Tuber would still be alive. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting to you from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. Andy Tuber, 52, was one of the most powerful men in Alaska. He earned $1.2 million a year as the CEO of the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, or the ANTHC. The ANTHC is the largest, most comprehensive tribal health organization in the United States, and it co-owns and manages the Alaska Native Medical Center, a major hospital in Anchorage. The ANTHC also provides health services to more than 170,000 Alaska Native people and their communities. 
In addition to his position with the ANTHC, Tuber earned $540,000 a year as the Chief Executive Officer of CANA, the Kodiak Area Native Association and he was a member of several influential boards, including the Alaska Federation of Natives and the University of Alaska Board of Regents. Tuber also owned Kodiak helicopters and was an accomplished helicopter pilot. Andy Tuber had it all. He was rich and powerful and engaged to be married. He also had three children with his former partner. His life fell apart in dramatic fashion. Within days, Tuber resigned from the ANTHC, CANA, and the various boards he served on. He flew to Las Vegas, married his fiancée, and raced back to Anchorage. He then jumped on a helicopter to fly down to Kodiak, and he crashed into the ocean in a treacherous stretch of water near the Barren Islands, 70 miles north of Kodiak. Tuber's life began its downward spiral a week before his fatal crash. On February 23, 2021, Savannah Evans, 27, sent her resignation letter to the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium Board. Her letter described sexual abuse, harassment, and intimidation by her boss, Andy Tuber. Savannah, a newlywed, took a job as Andy Tuber's special assistant in October 2019. It was a great job, paying $86,000 a year. But Evans said there was a catch. She had to have sex with her boss to keep her job. Part of her resignation letter read, To whom it may concern, My name is Savannah Evans. I have been employed with the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium since April 22, 2019. Unfortunately, I am writing to you today to give you my formal notice that I am resigning from ANTHC effective immediately. I am a single mother of a four-year-old daughter. I am an Athabascan from the Koyukon region. I was excited to begin work at ANTHC on April 22, 2019, working in the talent bank for Kristen Kolb. I did a variety of administrative work and supported the marketing department. I did well and was hired as a full-time employee. I have always had a desire to learn and grow, both personally and professionally. So when the position of administrative assistant to the president of ANTHC was posted, I applied and was hired. Further on in the letter, Evans describes an incident that occurred when she was in Kodiak assisting Tuber with his Canada duties. On October 11th, after dinner and a walk at the harbor, President Tuber reached around me and kissed me. He then took me back to his room and had sex with me. You may wonder if this relationship was consensual. It is not when the person controls your employment. Evans detailed several other sexual encounters with Tuber and said the harassment continued until August 1, 2020. Evans continued to work for Tuber until December 2020, but then she received a bad job review, and the ANTHC shifted her assignment from Tuber's special assistant to the special assistant of the organization's chief financial officer. With the change in positions, Evans' salary was slashed from $86,000 per year to $60,000 per year. 
Sometime during this period, Evans and her new husband divorced. Savannah Evans is not a naive young woman. She has strong political ties to U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan and is related to him through his wife, Julie Fate Sullivan. Evans and the Sullivans are very close. Ten minutes after the ANTHC board received Evans's letter, Andy Tuber resigned as president. Evans' letter then found its way to the Anchorage Daily News. On March 1st, Andy Tuber was in Las Vegas preparing to marry his fiancée, Amy Bell Lyle, when a reporter from the Anchorage Daily News contacted him and told him the newspaper would print Evans's letter the following day. This is part of Tuber's reply. As you know, I have been out of the state attending my wedding. Please note that I am a private citizen, and I do not consider myself a public figure. You have insisted that I respond on very short notice and at a time when you know that it would be extremely difficult for anyone to do so. You have presented me with the choice of either responding in detail about private relations between consenting adults or seeing false allegations about my private life published in your paper, treating Miss Evans's false allegations as true. To be clear, I believe Miss Evans has a strong financial and personal motives to attack me, and you are being manipulated to advance those motives on an accelerated timetable, deliberately timed and designed to hurt me and my family. Although I request that you do not publish a story including these false and malicious allegations against me, if you do, you have given me no choice but to respond to your specific questions as follows. Question. When did you learn of any allegations against you by Miss Evans? Answer. On Tuesday, February 23rd at approximately 8.15 a.m. Question. When did you resign? Answer. Tuesday, February 23rd, a few minutes after learning of the allegations. Question. Miss Evans said that during her first week working for you, she was flown to Kodiak, and you, at one point, asked her to send you an inappropriate photo. How do you respond to this accusation? Answer. During the very first occasion when we were alone, Miss Evans demanded sex from me in a very direct and aggressive way. After she made her interest plainly known, we did engage in intimate relations, which were always willing, voluntary, and consensual, and often initiated by Miss Evans. Question. Ms. Evans said that she returned to Kodiak later in October 2019 to help with the annual CANA meeting. This is how she described an episode during that trip. He reached around me and kissed me. He then took me back to his room and had sex with me. You may wonder if this relationship was consensual. It is not when the person controls your employment. How do you respond to this accusation that you forced Miss Evans to have sex with you? Answer. I have never forced or coerced sex from anyone, including Miss Evans. I do not recall every occasion when we had relations, but any time we did, she freely participated. 
Question. Did you consider the sex to be consensual? If so, how did you know it was consensual? Answer. It was always completely voluntary and consensual, and many times, if not most times, she was the initiator. Question. How many of your assistants and past personal staff have accused you of sexual harassment? Answer. I have never been made aware of any such allegation. Question. How many of your assistants and past personal staff have accused you of emotional abuse? Answer. I have never been made aware of any such allegation. Question. How many of your assistants and past personal staff have accused you of sexual assault? Answer. I have never committed sexual assault against anyone, and I have never been accused of this. The reporter questioned Tuber about Evans's specific allegations in her letter, but he denied any wrongdoing. Tuber begged the reporter not to print her article until he could return to Alaska and supply the paper with evidence showing that Evans's accusations were false. He also asked the reporter to give him time to fly to Kodiak to prepare his daughter and the rest of his family for the news they were about to hear. He said he wanted to be with his family when the story broke. Tuber's new bride, Amy Bell Lyle, apparently knew about the allegations and fully supported her husband. The Anchorage Daily News reporter told Tuber that she could not hold the story and it would be released the following day. Tuber frantically raced back to Alaska. He wanted to reach his daughter and other family members in Kodiak so he could prepare them for Evans's accusations before the newspaper released its latest edition. Let me take a short break. I am excited to announce that the audiobook of my novel, Massacre at Bear Creek Lodge, read by Beth Chaplin, is now available. Beth does a wonderful job. This excerpt is from early in the book, when Sergeant Patterson and his Alaska State Troopers arrive at a lodge where someone has murdered eight people. In this scene, he is interviewing the lodge cook and her assistant. Why don't you start, Al? Patterson said. Begin by telling me when you got up and what you did this morning. I woke up at five this morning, she said. Can you speak up a little, L? I can barely hear you, Patterson said. L cleared her throat and spoke again. I woke up at five. That's when I get up to bake the rolls for breakfast. Bob usually gets up at 7 a.m. and turns on the generator. And Jules is out here by 7.30 at the latest. Bob and Jules are the Bartlett's? Patterson asked. Yes, Elle said. At 7.20, when Bob still hadn't come out to turn on the generator, I figured he'd overslept. We're all tired by this point in the season, so I wasn't surprised they'd slept through their alarm clock. She paused and seemed to fight back the tears. I knocked on their door, but they didn't answer. So I opened the door a slit and called their names several times. When they still didn't answer, I took a few steps into their room. She paused again. 
I was about to call their names again, but I saw all the blood. The tears flowed, and Elle used her apron to mop her face. Patterson waited for her to stop crying. What did you do next? he asked. I tried to do CPR on Bob, but they were already dead. They were cold. The questions were building in Patterson's mind, but he wanted to keep Elle on track. Then what did you do? I went back to the kitchen and told Susan to go up and check on the guests. I wanted to make sure they were okay. I didn't know what else to do. The audiobook version of Massacre at Bear Creek Lodge is available at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. According to Amy Bell Lyle, the newlyweds rose early on March 2, 2021, for a 5 a.m. flight from Las Vegas to Seattle. They changed planes and arrived in Anchorage around noon, Alaska Standard Time. Tuber's bookkeeper met them at the Anchorage airport, and she drove Tuber to Merrill Field to meet his helicopter, while Amy collected her car from the airport parking lot. Amy then drove to Merrill Field and waited with her husband for his helicopter to arrive. Miss Belisle said her husband was stressed about the approaching news story and his desire to reach his family before it was released. But she said he was joking and making plans for the future. The couple decided they would move to Washington State and start a new life together. Tuber's chief pilot for Kodiak Helicopters arrived at Merrill Field in the R-66 helicopter N-1767 and spoke briefly with Tuber before removing his gear from the aircraft. He said Tuber seemed distracted and not himself. Tuber departed from Merrill Field at 2.06 p.m., heading to the airport on Kodiak Island. Amy Belisle said she had planned to fly with Tuber down to Kodiak, but he decided it would be best if he went alone to break the news about the alleged scandal to his family. The chief pilot and Amy could follow Tuber's progress en route via Spider Tracks, a real-time tracking system. The pilot later told the Coast Guard that the spider tracks data stopped at 3.39 p.m. in an area south of the Barren Islands over the open ocean. Amy Belisle said she was watching the spider tracks information when the helicopter symbol moving along the digital map suddenly stopped over the Barren Islands. According to the spider tracks data, Tuber was flying about 400 feet above the water at a ground speed of 150 miles per hour in the moments before his helicopter disappeared. Other pilots describe this region as tricky, with turbulence and unpredictable winds. According to the National Transportation Safety Board report, a weather station near the accident site reported winds gusting to 27 knots. According to the report, the gusting winds could have led to low-level wind shear conditions. Once Amy and the Kodiak helicopter's pilot determined that something had happened to Tuber's helicopter, they contacted the United States Coast Guard. The Coast Guard said they had not received an emergency locator transmitter beacon and no distress call had been reported. 
a U.S. Coast Guard rescue helicopter flew to the last known location of helicopter N-1767 and located an inflated yellow pop-out float believed to have come from Tuber's helicopter. They saw no other signs of the aircraft in the vicinity. A U.S. Coast Guard officer called Amy Belisle and told her what those in the rescue helicopter had seen. He said the odds for survival were low, but out of respect for Amy's father and Andy, they would continue the search. However, due to the deteriorating weather conditions in the area, Amy and Tuber's family told the Coast Guard to call off the search rather than jeopardize the safety of the rescue crews. Amy Belisle's father, retired Chief Boson's mate Richard Belisle, was murdered in 2012 while working at a Coast Guard communications station on Kodiak Island. Several days after the initial search ended, more debris from the helicopter turned up on a beach near a Fognac Island, 42 miles north of Kodiak. The debris included part of the helicopter's float, skid tube, and fuselage structure. Federal Aviation Administration investigators said Tuber's lack of sleep in the 24 hours before he got behind the helicopter's controls and his distracted state probably played a role in the accident. A review of FAA data indicated that Tuber did not receive any pre-flight weather briefings. He simply jumped in his helicopter and headed for Kodiak. The NTSB report stated that based on the available information, the reasons for the crash could not be determined. Since the helicopter and Tuber's body were never found, the NTSB had no forensic evidence and classified the crash as an accident. In April 2021, a six-person jury unanimously found that Tuber did not survive the crash and is presumed to have died from an accident. This presumed death verdict allows family members to deal with Tuber's financial affairs without physical proof of his death. During the hearing, Tuber's bookkeeper said she had seen all the business bank accounts and credit cards, and there had been no activity on his accounts since his disappearance. On May 28, 2022, Andy Tuber's friends, family, and colleagues gathered on a small hill near Kodiak to remember him in a traditional Supiak mask-burning ceremony. During the ceremony, attendees can speak with a mask made by an artist to represent the deceased individual. They can share final messages with the mask. Later, the mask is burned, carrying what it saw and heard back to the departed relative or friend. It is one last opportunity for friends and family to tell their loved one goodbye. We will never know what happened during Andy Tuber's flight from Anchorage to Kodiak. If the helicopter crashed where the tracking system indicated, it would likely be buried under 300 feet of water in one of the world's most inhospitable stretches of ocean. It will likely never be recovered. Did Andy Tuber commit suicide? Or was he so distracted by recent events in his life that he took unnecessary chances while flying? 
So far, his death seems to have quieted Savannah Evans's claims of sexual harassment against Tuber and the ANTHC. She could still sue the ANTHC, however. She claimed the organization had a culture of sexual harassment and said no one would listen to her complaints about Tuber. Critics blame the Anchorage Daily News for its rush to print a story the reporter had not thoroughly researched and fact-checked. If Savannah Evans is telling the truth about Tuber, others should be able to corroborate her story. What does her ex-husband say about Savannah's relationship with Andy Tuber? The ANTHC demoted Savannah Evans and cut her pay, so Ms. Evans was undoubtedly a disgruntled employee. She could be telling the truth about Tuber's conduct, but perhaps the reporter should have taken another day or two to investigate the story further. Tuber begged the reporter to hold her story until he could supply copies of his communications with Evans, proving her accusations against him were false. Even the NTSB suggested the newspaper article may have prompted Tuber to fly his helicopter when he was exhausted, and he may have taken unnecessary chances in his rush to reach his family before the news release. Only time will tell if this story is over. If Savannah Evans feels there is an atmosphere of sexual harassment at the ANTHC, then perhaps she will sue the organization. However, we will likely never know what happened during those last few seconds aboard Tuber's R-66 helicopter before it crashed into the frigid Gulf of Alaska. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. If you haven't already done it, be sure to join the Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier Facebook group and chat about the podcast. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.